You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you are interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It is time for another Digital Noise with Sir Dr. Professor John Golson and just Chris Cox. Hello. <laughs> it is an honor to have you again on this program, Dr. Sir. Why, thank you, Christopher. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. You're just coming back from your whirlwind tour. My whirlwind tour to the dentist discovered <laughs> I, I have a cracked, infected tooth that needs to be extracted post haste fascinating Too sweet <laughs> uh yeah i got dental surgery tomorrow oh, i just boy. found out Wee herman died it's yeah. a bummer of an afternoon that is a bummer first sinead o'connor then Wee herman gen xers are having a bad week you're the highlight of my day oh Chris. wow yeah i better make this good then you, that's what yeah that's why i've got this gun <laughs> Uh, so they should bury Pee Wee in the, the basement of the Alamo. Uh, Alamo responded. I know, I saw yeah, that. Yeah. They said there is no basement, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, we have a lot of movies to cover this week. We wish we had been able to get this out pre me leaving for San Diego Comic Con, but John was actually on a, a tour with his creative endeavors, and I was on a tour with getting drunk with friends in San Diego, and so our schedules just did not align. But the movies are still new to you if you've never seen them before or have not purchased them yet on home video. And I bet there are a lot of the ones we have this week will, in fact, be new to people. Even if they might be ones they've heard of, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, that movie. Uh, and there's a few that maybe they intentionally avoided going <laughs> to say. <laughs> Turn my head. <laughs> but we'll start with one of the good ones, and that's one of my favorite Hong Kong movies ever made, Police Story 3, Super Cop, now available in 4K with a package that ain't fucking around. It's just like, oh, you oh, you want Police Story 3, Super Cop? Okay, we'll take all the Police Story 3, Super Cop in the world. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> very, nice very, very happy to get it. The weird thing about this film, as opposed to the first two, was that the first two are really just cop on the streets. I mean, it's like he's dealing with like, like cop stuff, but that gets out of hand. Yeah. And Super Cop is, it's a straight up James Bond movie. More or less, yeah. Yeah. I mean, from here on, he's a super spy, like globe trotting super spy. And this is the first time he actually worked in a film with Michelle Yao. Uh, and the two have been inextricably linked ever since, despite the fact they've really not done actually all that much together outside of a perfume commercial. They both did at the beginning of their career. Yeah. Which is on this. Set, yes. By the it was way. great. <laughs> I, w- I did not know that. And I was so thrilled it was on here. I was like, what? Yep. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I love this movie. This is one of the early Hong Kong films I watched that really got me into uh, watching it. Also, if you're one of the people recently discovering how wonderful Michelle Yao is, this is just one of the best movies she made over there. It really shows off her personality, her ability to be funny, her martial arts abilities, and her incredible stunts. The stunts yeah. here, she for, I think, the maybe the only time in a Jackie Chan film, someone outshines Jackie Chan in his own film with the quality of stunts that she does. Yeah, it's really good. I saw I saw Super Cop in sort of that, there was like that two to three year run before he started making American movies like Bulletproof Monk and stuff like that. Yeah. There was like that two, three year run where Miramax was releasing, Miramax and New Line were sort of jockeying back and forth releasing um the stuff that he'd done in the 90s. Yeah. Rumble in the Bronx was a wide Rumble release. Rumble in the Bronx, Mr. Nice Guy, Twin Dragons, yeah. uh, Super Cop, Operation Condor, which is a favorite. Yeah. Um, and Super Cop was, yeah, the third in the Police Story series. This one about Jackie Chan going uh, undercover to um, to stop a drug smuggling ring. Yeah, going um, to mainland China. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I this time, yeah, I'm pretty familiar with the American cut. I've seen the Weinstein cut like Miramax cut like a few times. Mm. Um, most recently, probably during the pandemic, because I rewatched a lot of his, uh, that era of Chan at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, this is the first time I got the chance to watch the international cut, which I liked more. I'm surprised, surprised, but it's got better music. Yeah. So it has like uh it has an actual score versus like the weird pop songs that Miramax just inserted into super cop. And it's got, it allows for slightly more exposition, and it, the I think the music and the expository scenes give it a little bit of a grit that's not in the American release version. Like it filled, it, it filled, it felt more of a piece uh, with the first two in a way that the Super Cop cut. It, while I could acknowledge that yes, this was the third Police Story movie. There was something lacking, and I think it was a, a, just a little bit of gravitas, which uh, the international cut has. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I especially like a sequence that gets more into Michelle Yao explaining stuff about uh, mainland China to Jackie Chan, who pretends like he knows – you know, I'm fine. I'm a Chinese guy. He's from Hong Kong. Yeah. That, uh, but he doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't know anything about mainland China. It doesn't even speak the language, really, you know, because yeah. there's two different languages spoken in China. Um well, more than that, but two main languages spoken in China. Uh, and also, it's about 10 minutes long altogether with that. Of course, you're missing the Devo song, Super Cop, written for the film. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, it's there's a little bit of fish out of water, but not too much, thankfully. Um, Maggie Chung, who plays his girlfriend, is again given very little to do except be outraged by accidentally coming across situations where it looks like he's messing around with another woman, but he's not. I mean, this is the running joke with her in the movies, which is a shame because when she's actually in a movie where she's a main star, she's really great. Yeah. But here she's just like, oh, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I... If you've never seen this one, and honestly, you're not even really a guy, norm, person who really likes Hong Kong movies, this is one of the, the ones I'd be like, if I had to pick five Hong Kong movies for you to watch that were fun action films, this is would definitely be on that list. It's pretty dang good. Uh, I think that, I, I and again, whatever weaknesses I thought were in the other one, I think this picks up the slack there. It's got a fantastic ending. All that train stuff at the end is, all the train stuff at the end is really, really good. From the helicopter 
like there's like a extended chase that involves helicopters, trains, and motorcycles, um, and all of that stuff just comes together in uh, in ways that it's difficult to believe that no one died. Yeah, especially the train sequence. There's a bonus feature on here that really gets into Michelle Yao's train jump, and it really is considered still one of the most ridiculously stupid, dangerous stunts anybody's ever done. I mean, it was dumb. She shouldn't have done it. Yeah. She survived. (laughs) And they got it on film. The one that they say is the worst of the stunts in the movie is the car window thing where they Mm. jump on the car and they show it in the end credits with the bloopers, but there was a pretty disastrous, uh, it could have gone very, very wrong, like jump onto the hood of a moving car. Yeah didn't go as planned that scared the crap out of everybody yeah it's freaky even to watch because you're like oh that doesn't look like that was supposed to happen the way that it happened yeah. <laughs> uh there's also there's a lot here as we said both versions of the film are here as well as a audio commentary by hong kong cinema e- expert frank jeng who weirdly recorded one recently for a eureka entertainment release of this but this is apparently a different commentary oh interesting yeah um, there's all the various different trailers and TV spots. And there's that TV commercial with Jackie Chan and Michelle Yao from 1984. Um, the Blu-ray comes with a lot of more bonus features here, which includes a interview with Michelle Yao, interview with director Stanley Tong, interview with Jackie Chan's training partner, Ken Lowe, um, more, um, outtakes behind the scenes. It's, it's a lot. And it also comes with a really cool box, uh, new artwork, a double-sided poster, an 80-pound bound book. 80-pound. 80 80-page. 80 sorry, that'd be weird if it was 80 pounds, huh? Massive. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, <laughs> and it has an inner sleeve featuring the Hong Kong poster artwork and six replica lobby cards. So this is for the super cop for the super fan, which happens to be me. And this is one of the ones that they actually sent me the real version of and not just a white disc. So I was like, hurrah! It would look so pretty on my shelf. Are they doing this with... Uh... Because isn't Operation Condor like Project A Part 2 or 3 or something like that? It's pro- Project A Part 2, I Are believe. they doing this? Are they going to do that with Operation Condor? I hope Project so. Project A2? I hope so. And, and earmark that one for me when I'm on the next one. <laughs> the uh, I love the Project A films. There's another one where they're like sailors or something. I forget the name of it. But the one I really like is... Um, Oh God, not twin dragons. It's, uh, uh, it's got dragons. It's another one of the ones with dragons in the title that has all three of them, but it's like the most of the fighting. It's the most brutal fighting in a Jackie Chan film. Uh, there's like, I remember there's a sequence where a stuntman falls over, like in a warehouse thing, falls over like a warehouse railing hits in the one continual shot hits a railing right in the middle of his back, like obviously was not supposed to happen and bounces off of it, hits the ground going just screaming. And you're like, yeah, that was an accident. And guess what? They kept it in the film. <laughs> of course they did. He was okay. But still you're like, Jesus Christ yeah. watching the movie. Uh, we're another martial arts movie, but this one going way back is hand of death. Now I had always heard of this, never seen any place that had actually had a copy of it. And the reason you hear of it is because it was John Woo directing Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan in a movie. I'm like, what? That's a thing that happened? Well, don't get excited. Because basically, none of the trademarked things for John Woo as a director or Jackie Chan as an actor is really present in this film. Not a single slow motion dove. You don't know how <laughs> nope, mad I was. Not even one. Uh, and then Sammo Hung is... Playing the bad guy versus Jackie Chan, which is odd. Um, 
he is having more fun than anyone else in this film, clearly, and has the most to do. He's a much bigger part to play than Jackie Chan does. Everybody's seen this before. This is really like, no. I mean, like oh yeah, a, a warlord rolls into a small town, says and, no more Shaolin. Yeah, and then somebody is like, I'm going to master a specific martial art so I can defeat the warlord and restore the town. And that's a, that's it, all it is. It's it, it, see, you've seen it a billion times it, before. It's fine. It's it's not like it's terrible. It's just just that. It's kind of generic. Yeah. Uh, it's got some halfway decent fight scenes. It's got a cameo by Yun Biao, who also was apparently the stuntman for pretty much everyone in the film, including the two lead stars. Uh, he was the third of the famous three brothers, Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan. Um, yeah, it's just fine. I forgot about it almost as soon as it was over, and I was so anxious to watch it because of the, you know, wow, what would a John Wood have directed? Yeah. But he did a lot of films that were just work for hire early in his career, like so many other directors that are just, yeah, there's nothing real special about it. It's just, it's workmanlike. It's fine. Yeah, if you're a completist of any of the people involved, then it's worth having. But it's, yeah, it's just another uh, warlord martial arts movie. Yeah, I w wanted to like it so much more, but I was kind of falling asleep, I'll be honest. <laughs> Sorry. I've watched so many of these recently, and just of this plot alone, I've probably seen like 30 of them in the last year, yeah. you know? I don't know. I don't have that much to say about this. I mean, it looks fine. It's certainly upgraded past what probably any previous edition of this would have looked like. Uh, Arrow put it out. There's a commentary by, again, Frank Jang and then Michael Wirth. From Hong Kong to Hollywood with John Woo, archival, about a half-hour piece with him. Chow Yun-Fat, for some reason, is on it. <laughs> I guess because people can't separate him and and john Wu. uh a cool conversation with tan tao lang is really the main reason to see this which is a 30 minute look about uh it being shot with uh well it, it's it's really crappy but it's kind of funny because it's crappy i don't know i i enjoyed watching that anyway yeah i don't have much to say about this one i wish i did i wish i could recommend it more i wish it was better than it is but it's not what I was a film that was also on my bucket list to watch for a long time that ended up totally delivering for me was Criterion's release of Branded to Kill. Always wanted to see this movie. Always see it on people's like top lists of all time. I'm like, okay, it's a Yakuza movie and Yakuza movies really in like, whereas samurai movies make it to like, like highbrow critics lists of all time. Yakuza movies rarely do. Uh, but this is one that showed up on a lot of them. Whoops. Forgot, I set an alarm to be funny. I've, I gotta remember. All right. <clears throat> I'll come up with something, John. Don't worry. <laughs> Freaking slide whistle. <laughs> um, it's on a lot of directors' top 10 lists, mm -hmm. like famous directors. Like I, I know, uh, Jim Jarmusch is one of those who really, really, really loves this movie. So it's one of those like, okay, I feel like I really need to see it. It's been described as the, one of the first films of the Japanese new wave moment movement, which I really like. It's been called surreal, absurdist, avant-garde. And I'm like, but it's a Yakuza movie in black and white from 1967. I'm like, this is not what you'd picture. And in fact, when I watched this, I was like, did David Lynch travel through time and direct this movie? <laughs> Cause it kind of feels like if David Lynch had made a, a Yakuza film, I kind of fell madly in love with this weird as shit little movie. And it's one of those movies I know I'm going to go back and revisit a whole bunch of times. Uh, this director, Saijin Suzuki, his career ended for 10 years because of this movie. Um, he made it. 
the studio said, now we know you're kind of fucking weird. Don't be fucking weird. We're giving you the money. We're trusting you. And he went ahead and did exactly what we wanted to anyway. <laughs> and they immediately blacklisted him and he turned on them and got all these people internationally on his side to champion him. But it didn't matter. He couldn't work for 10 years. Uh, he went on to work again and have a decent amount of acclaim internationally, even though he's not terribly well known here. But Tokyo Drifter is one of the films that's most discussed by him. Really magnificent movie from 1966 that Criterion also released. But Branded to Kill follows a contract killer, Goro Hanada, played by the total weirdo Joe Shishido. And I say that because this man artificially had his cheeks enlarged and he constantly looks like he's about to blow a bubble. <laughs> it's really, you can't miss it. You're like, did he just have surgery or something? It's weird, and I'm not sure why he made that choice. But Early days of plastic surgery, man. Yeah, he's very strange looking. But um, he's upset because he knows that he is the Underworld's third-ranked hitman. Uh, and he wants to be the first-ranked hitman, only nobody knows who the first-ranked hitman actually is. Uh, but he ends up taking on a job for this mysterious woman, uh, Misako, who... Uh, he fucks up the job completely. And that means, I guess, because of Yakuza culture, that then all the other hitmen now can come and try and kill him. Except for the number one hitman who reveals himself and instead of trying to kill him, just starts fucking with him. <laughs> uh, and also there's like all this double twistiness, like who's paying for who to do what and like his wife's trying to kill him and maybe the, the girl he hired is trying to kill him, but then he's also having sex with her. And it's very weird and dreamlike and twisty and visually brilliant. And I kind of fell madly in love with it. I agree with everything you said, except for the fallen madly in love with it. Part. Yeah. It didn't work yeah. for you. I think objectively, some of the stuff that you've said is, is just true. Like it's just a truth of the movie. <laughs> um, but it didn't click. It happens. Yeah. I think that all the stuff you said, I, I'm nodding in agreement. Yes, it's beautiful. It's uh, it's uh, very uh, striking and memorable and all those things and just never settled in with me. Just never quite clicked into place for whatever reason. I appreciated it more than I liked it. And it just happens sometimes, you know? You yeah. Know? You it can't love happens. everything. There's movies you love but that I don't. I disagree. I don't. <laughs> you would never go, Chris, come on, you can't really feel yeah. that way. <laughs> no, it's like all the things, they're just, yes, those are truths. There are movies you watch, I get that. There are movies I watch, I'm like, this is her heralded as a classic, and you watch it, you go, I completely see why everybody loves this as much as I they, they do. I am not one of those people. <laughs> this is, but for me, this is one I'll return to many more times, I suspect. Well, I wish you luck in your uh, <laughs> reviewings of Branded to Kill. Well, I don't know if I'll review it again. I, I mean, mean re dash viewing this is the 4k version on criterion there'll never be a format after 4k john oh just wait <laughs> what is it gonna be 8k when they do 64k and it's on a usb that we can stick right into the temple oh, oh right like right into the slot on our temple i'll have to put this on my list criterion go ahead and put me down for that copy when that comes yeah. out i want to see that um, there are any bonus features on the 4K, but the Blu-ray comes with an interview with uh, the director and the assistant director talking about the production history of the film. Um, this came from July 2011 uh, when it was recorded. There's a very funny interview with Joe Shishida, the lead actor, talks about working with him on this film. Um, Saijin Suzuki uh, archival d interview with him, which was recorded during a retrospective of his work in 1997, a trailer and a booklet. 
uh, solid actual set of extras. All those extras are actually really good and really worth watching. The, like I said, the, the Joe, the lead actor interview is really funny and worth watching. He does impressions, which is oh, not something you usually see. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, recommended. I really wish John had liked it as much as me, but what are you going to do? Maybe he'll feel that way about Fist of the Condor. Uh, <laughs> That's my that's my condor impression. Uh, I don't know. Did you like Condor Man better? Uh, that's one where the guy's bitten by a condor and he slowly turns into a the, condor. The old, no, it's a, no, no, it's a Disney movie. The it's Disney a, movie, yeah. yeah. Condor Man. Here's my story about Condor Man. I know we're not on Condor Man. <laughs> You're like, guy. I'd rather talk about Condor. But Man. Uh, they used to rent it for me all the time when I was a kid because they knew I like superheroes and I could never watch the whole thing. Why? Uh, I thought it was boring. It is boring. It's, and I haven't. I've only watched like bits and pieces of it and, he, and they they rented it multiple times there used to be that and there was a margot kidder detective movie that was also like a hmm. like a a quote-unquote family mover from that time that was like deadly boring huh um i can't remember the name i of don't it. know what that one anyways is. they used to rent those all the time and i haven't seen seen it since i was a kid so i have i assume i probably would still think it was boring because if, if a kid i thought this isn't very good i remember the one i liked was the one where john ritter goes around trying to be a superhero even though he doesn't oh, have any yeah. superpowers i've never seen that and i've always heard good things about I, it. i saw i ended up seeing it twice in the theater as a kid i really liked it yeah. Uh, anyway, no, this is Fist of the Condor. Fist of the Condor this with Marco Zoror. Zoror. Uh, cult fan favorite stuntman Marco Zoror. Yeah, uh, a South American, Chilean, um, uh, martial artist, very nice person. Comes to Fantastic Fest all the time, so a lot of us in this Austin community are, are like, know the guy and kind of champion, champion him. Which is why I asked for this movie, because I really wanted it to be good. <laughs> and it's not like Marco Zoror is bad in it, per se. He's not the world's greatest actor. He's not for lack of trying. Not for lack of trying, because he plays two parts of this. He plays two parts of this. He plays the two brothers. One is good, one is bad. Uh, and one has bald and one has long hair. And one is losing his sight. Yeah. Um, and there's a sacred martial arts text that, uh, that's like Condor style, I guess. And, uh, Sorry, the cat is attacking yeah, the back I'm, of John's head. Just push him off the couch Marco's when he does Zoror that. Marco Zoror fan over here behind me. Yeah, fuck um, you. How dare you talk shit about Marco Zoror? Uh, and so they're vying for control of this martial arts text, and it's just, it's got a little bit of a ticking time bomb aspect in that one of the brothers is going blind, and so he needs to he needs to get and see this scroll or book or whatever it is b- before his brother uh, gets his hands on it. Um, hey, spoiler... Uh, much like recent films like Fast X, Mission Impossible, Spider-Verse, uh, it's a proposed part one. Yeah. Um, and my, my issues with this movie are that it's kind of slow moving at an hour and 20 minutes. And I'm like, why isn't this just a two hour movie? Yeah. Like, why, why am I being asked to watch a second part of this to get the resolution of the story? I agree. Now, the fights are good. Yeah. And, and I kind of like the sort of, DTV Kung Fu TV show vibes. Like it has very ponderous, like these kind of like, um, self-important vibes. You know what I'm talking well, it's about? The, like it feels very, it's the cinematography. It yeah. does all these things where it'll be like the camera's shooting along a beach and then shoots past them out and fighting out into the ocean. And yeah. you're like, it's trying to be the stylish, but it, yeah, it's yeah, kind it's, of ponderous and self-important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I just felt like, I just felt like there was there's so many shots of just condors flying. I'm like, you lose about eighty of those, you got enough time to finish your story. You yeah. don't have to you don't have to stop us at an hour and twenty minutes and go, All right, 
Now, stay tuned for part two. Was not was not a fan of that. I don't know that I'm dying to see part two. No, but I didn't. I didn't really. You know, I don't. I don't have any particular love for Zoror. I've never met the guy, mm-hmm. um, so I'm just going off the movie. And as far as DTV action goes, I probably uh, am biased against it <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> um, and I did not dislike this so much as um, it kind of just made me like weirdly retroactively mad sort of at the end of just being like what okay like you're not gonna tell the whole story and i didn't think it was like strong enough for me to follow up they someday they need to release a cut of this that is just both and then trimmed down from there get rid of the condors yeah (laughs) i get it it's condor style i don't have to see any more condors (laughs) good yeah it really does spend way too much time trying to look how beautifully stylish we are like lots of shots of nothing Mm -hmm. um lots of over over explaining the situation the fights are okay but it takes forever to get to them and there's only like two it's quality over quantity yeah i don't know what they were aiming for with this quite frankly uh and the second last show i did just did with right we did the new donnie yen film which is like so long it's like almost three hours long and it also comes to a to be continued, and you're uh, like, "What are you doing? Stop oh that my shit!" God. Oh. I I I have to believe, based on Mission Impossible's uh, anemic box office, I think by advertising that as a part one, people were like, "I honestly think this." The people were like, "No, nah, that's okay," because I think coming off Fast X and Spider Verse and some of these other movies yeah. recently that have been like first parts. I think we're discovering now that audiences may be like, I'm all good on the part ones. Yeah. Just give if me If I want that, I'll watch television. Yeah. There's more than enough good television where it's, you know, week to week. Movies should be done. Yeah. They should be finished with each. Ch- I tend to feel that way, generally speaking. I mean, I was frustrated with Spider-Verse because I, I, I had forgotten. They said early, early on it's going to be part one. And I had forgotten because they completely removed it from the marketing. Yeah. And when it happened, I was like, really? I mean, I was having a great time, but really? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they need to cut that shit out. I think, I, I think so too. Yeah. And especially little indie films like this that are struggling for anyone even to like them in the first place. You're like, no, you're like saying, oh, now I have to watch a second Why? one. I don't, what, this terrible idea. I don't understand what's in people's minds here. But, uh, anyway, let's move on to a film that is one of those parallel universe films, because I'm pretty sure this did not exist in our world a year ago, uh, The Experts. And then we had a, <laughs> oh, it did. We had a crossover moment, and, uh, and it slid over from the parallel universe, because I feel like I would have heard of this movie before now. Wait, what? You've never heard of this? this never sat- heard of The Experts. This was on the top... Sh- I can remember... I, I don't know why. So we used to rent all our movies in, in Alvin, Texas, from a grocery store called Budget Chopper, and they didn't have a very big selection. Uh, and I, I guess not. I think they had other video stores cast off movies, right? Like they had new releases, but their library was basically yeah. whoever, like they, they, a fire sale of stuff that didn't rent at other places. <laughs> right. And, um, yeah, experts, I, the VHS box, and somehow it's almost like, it came to the store faded. Like it never even had, it was never even <laughs> it red. Was never it was never new. Pink. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, experts. Yeah. I remember, I remember experts. I, yeah, never ever even heard of it. It's directed by Dave Thomas, uh, who of course was one half of the strange brew duo, the Bob and Doug McKenzie. And of the Baconator. 
The Baconator. <laughs> it's a different, different Dave Thomas. <laughs> yes, different Dave Thomas. Um, this is probably only going to be really notable in that it's the movie that John Travolta and Kelly Preston first met and got married at like two years afterwards. It's where they fell in love and you literally watch it happen on screen. Like it's like watching the first time they had sex basically happens on screen during a dance where you kind of feel like everyone there was probably looking around at each other. Like should, should we go? (laughs) And it is a super hot dance sequence. You're like, damn, those two are about ready to take their clothes off and just go at it. But anyway, it's a a plot that seemed more plausible in the 80s, to be sure, when this movie came out, which is that it's the Soviet Union. Soviet spies are trained in a fake town in the Soviet Union uh, that is designed to be as American as they can make it. The idea being they're so clueless about what America's really like. They've designed it after, like, it's like leave it to beaver type world. It's like everything is very 50s. And uh, one guy realizes a KGB agent uh, played by Charles Martin Smith. Uh, you don't know the name, but trust me, you see him. You're like, oh, I know that guy. He always plays like a, like a functionaries. <laughs> um, He's like, okay, I'm going to go to America, find some cool guys there, and we'll bring them here and make them help us to, like, upgrade this town so our spies can be trained how to be like Americans are now. And he ends up kidnapping John Travolta and uh, Arye Gross. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Another guy. You're like, you've seen him a billion things. He was on Ellen, the, the sitcom. Yeah. Uh, he obviously didn't make it as big as John Travolta did. But um, they're like two sort of like good friends, but they're the kind of friends that constantly fuck with each other uh, who are like run nightclubs in New they're York like City. Party hardy dudes. Yeah, exactly. And they basically said, he comes up and says, hey, we'll pay you a shit, a ridiculous shit ton of money to come and design this nightclub for us and run it in this town in uh, Nebraska. And they're like, Nebraska? It's like, yeah, we want this town to be a lot cooler by New York standards, but we don't know how to do that. So you come in, anything you want, carte blanche, design this nightclub, and then they'd like drug them and knock them out with champagne on the flight and actually take them to Russia. And they, how would they know the difference, right? This town's like, it could be in Nebraska. And there's a bunch of townspeople there who are really spies in training, but they've been doing this for a long time too. And a lot of familiar faces of people you're like, Oh yeah. Like Brian Doyle Murray, of course, who is in every movie in the mid eighties to early nineties, I believe by law, he has to, he has to appear at least once. Uh, but notably Kelly Preston, who is like the town hottie who is even though arguably there to like, just get, learn how to do this stuff is obviously just can't help herself. The moment John Travolta comes into her life that she's going to fall in love with them. Uh, and the problem with this movie ultimately is that it's not funny. It's not funny at all. None of the scenes are supposed to be funny or funny. And also the third act conclusion, like the way they're like, and then here's what's happened happens. They don't earn it at all. It's like, yeah, okay. These are really the worst spies in the entire world. Like, like how were they on any level spies, even in training the people in this town? <laughs> it's sort of like passively watchable and yeah. not good at the same time. Yeah. Like you sort of are just like, you know, I think especially for Gen Xers, it's like, oh, here's an eighties comedy I've never seen before. Yeah. So there's like a thing you can kind of enjoy <laughs> just, just like a uh, hand of the condor or fist of the condor. It's a vibes. It's like, you put it on, you're like, oh, eighties sort of party hardy dude movie mm-hmm. comedy. And you're like, I, I there's so few of those that you haven't seen that you're like, all right, I'm in. And then you'll watch the whole thing. You probably won't smile the entire time, yeah. but 
you'll watch the whole I mean, thing. It's watchable. It's not hateful. No. It's just no. like it's like not. It's just not funny. It's just not funny. And I don't even think they barely even go for funny. You it's like it's yeah. almost like the fact that it is a comedy. Is supposed to make us go, oh, if it's a comedy, then it's funny. And it's like, no, you got to put jokes in there, yeah, man. You can't just have it be jokes. gags. Like, like, the setup is funny, though. It's like, it could be if it had jokes in it. Yeah. Uh, is is this or The Outing the worst movie that Drew Struzan ever did a poster for? I've never seen The Outing. Oh, it's the Houston... <laughs> uh, the Houston horror film about a genie trapped in the uh, Museum of Natural Science what? in Houston. Really? Yeah, yeah it's wow. It, I, I actually like the outing, it's, but that's because I get to see the museum as it was when I was a little kid. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it has a, like a Drew Struzan poster, and, and that's the thing that experts to me for years was just that VHS box cover, right? That Drew Struzan poster. Of the legs. Yeah. And the two dudes. I think one of them is even doing the 80s move of lifting the sunglasses up. Like, whoa, whose legs are these? <laughs> like, uh, you know, it's painted by the master, Drew Struzan. Hey, man, he ta- he's got to get paid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was like a, 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 a slow period. He's like, there's no new Indiana Jones films coming out soon. Star Wars is over for, at that point, presumably ever. <laughs> you know? You know, it's funny when you think about Travolta's career in regards to time, I think that we were quicker as a nation, as a movie-going public, to label somebody's career as dead and then have a comeback really, really fast. So, like, I remember when, like, I was I was thinking about the gap of years, and it's like his last hit is really, like, Urban Cowboy in, like, 81, right? Somewhat. And then you have this like coming along in like 87 or so. So you have like staying alive and you have a couple duds. He never stopped working. Right. But you have this gap of like six or seven years where his movies are faltering. And then he has Look Who's Talking. And it's like, it's like, oh, he's back. And then it's like, oh, he's cold again. And then Pulp Fiction. It's like, oh, he's back. And if you look at the ultimate timeline, you're like, wait, there's only really like. 10 years here that we're talking about that somebody had like two comebacks. Yeah. It's like Julia Roberts when people were like after pretty woman and she was making like Mary Riley and stuff like that. And people yeah. were like, Oh, her career is ice cold and it's over. And then like, she makes my best friend's wedding and you look right. at the time. It's like, Oh wait, that was only like five or six years later. <laughs> yeah. I think we were quicker to put a fork in somebody like <laughs> career wise. I mean, there were, because television wasn't something main actors would go to, there were less opportunities to regain the spotlight. Yeah. Nowadays, like an actor who's like, shit, I no good projects are coming along could go, I'm just going to do a fucking HBO show for, for like two years yeah. and can get themselves right back there. That was not really an option as much back then. That could really damage your career by doing television at all, just by the onus of like, oh, they had to go to TV. Nowadays, it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> I remember when uh, Nicholson dropped in for a guest gag on an episode of SNL because he had famously said he was he would never do television. Mm. And he showed up on a, a Saturday Night Live just to deliver like a line in some sketch. But my mind was blown because I was like, oh, he said he'd never do television. It's not like he did a show. You know, he dropped right. in to help out with a skit. But uh, yeah, that I, I totally remember those times, too. Yeah. Uh, so the upshot is this is during one of his fallow periods and it did nothing to save that fallow period. No. Uh, you know, spoiler, if you happen to be listening to this from the, the uh, 1989. Hey, guess what? He does get a comeback. Yeah. It's just not this movie. Yeah. 
And Eric Gross never becomes the uh, movie star that uh, Hollywood thought that he might be when they were casting him in this and House 2 and other things. Oh, God, he was in House 2, yeah, wasn't like he? he's like the lead in House 2. God, wait, he's one of those guys you're like, you've seen him in a billion things, but you can't remember what a single thing is you've seen him in. You know what I mean? You're like, what, what else was he in? I mean, uh, For the Boys. Uh, oh, my God, what else? Uh, Mother Night. Big Eden, Minority Report. Oh, God, Atlas Shrugged Part 2. Jesus, sorry. And he's got started on different strokes. <laughs> he was on a lot of TV. Yeah. Maybe that's more where I know him from. Anyway, yeah, there's only one bonus feature on this thing, which is a conversation with uh, Dave Thomas talking about uh, working with the different cast members, the choreography of the dance scene, how that was put together. Uh, it says, and one thing I'm reading this from, and how he managed the funny throughout the film. I'm like, that was poorly written, mm. considering there really is zero funny in this film. Yeah. I don't think I even chuckled or, no, you know, <laughs> no, but yet still didn't hate it. It's right. like a film. If I was like, like feeling hungover or something on the couch and was on T, like, like surfing channels, you'd be like, eh. <laughs> I mean, it's either this or a law and order episode I've already yeah. seen. Yeah. You just leave it on. <laughs> All right. Next up, we're going to talk about the 1974 the lo- film The Longest Yard, uh, directed by Robert Aldrich. Uh, I consider it to be one of the greats of sort of like the masculine film directors, you know, like one of the guys who made a lot of really good stuff like Vera Cruz and Kiss Me Deadly, and, uh, uh, as well as uh, The Dirty Dozen. And then he did like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Really, really good director. Um, this is one of the films that is really just for guys. Like, I hate to say that, but I can't think of any woman I've ever known who's seen this and had anything good to say about it because it is about one of the most toxic masculine things you'll ever see. But it's a pretty good film nonetheless, because they're not supposed to be good people. Like no one in this movie is a good guy. There's no real hero except kind of the lesser of evils. Yeah. I mean, Burt Reynolds is throwing all his charisma behind trying to make this work with it starts off with a character beating the shit out of his girlfriend and stealing her car. Uh, and then he goes to jail and you're like, well, he's the hero. Yeah. I mean, sort of, he's just not anywhere near as bad as the bad guys, which ultimately are our own are bad because of our own instinct to hate authority. You know, when it's, uh, when it's out of control, which is the warden and the prison guards and yada, yada in said prison. It involves all of them basically forming a football team to play against the guards in what almost certainly is a completely rigged game, but it's like, okay, well, we're going to figure out a way to win this anyway, even though the idea is Burt Reynolds being an ex-football player, because they really want him to be part of this team because of that, uh, yeah, it's... uh, He's got to figure out sneaky ways to do it. And it kind of reminds me of other stuff. It reminds me of the movie Victory. And it reminds me of the movie Mean Machine. And it reminds me of the movie... <laughs> the Longest Yard uh, with Adam Sandler. The Longest Yard, <laughs> the remake. It reminds me of that the end of MASH. You know, um, there's a lot of stuff reminds you of things. But, and, and it's got a great cast. Uh, Eddie Albert, Ed Lauter, Mike Conrad. Um, a lot of real football players play roles in this. This is a 4K release of this thing. Uh, and they did a great job with it. it. Again, it's not for everybody, but it's a film. This is like only the second time I've seen it. And each time I kind of start off watching it going, yeah. And then you kind of gradually get into it. And by the end, I'm like always a hundred percent with it. Like, okay, that's a tough watch, but it's a solid watch. Yeah. 
I like the uh, I, I like the stuff where they're running the clock down at the end, but much like um, well, they're not paying. <sighs> Sorry, I don't know what is with the interruptions oh on this show. Uh, the uh, much like the experts, I think it was kind of laugh free. I didn't really like. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I was surprised. I think what surprised me the most about this was that for it to be sort of a minor classic, I was like, I didn't find it that dramatically interesting, and I also didn't think it was very funny. It was fine. It was passable, but I was a little surprised by what I felt like was its reputation and status, which feel like they may have carried over from the time versus that the actual movie was so good that it was a classic. Do you know yeah. what I mean? I mean, I don't think this was necessarily, I don't think of this movie as a comedy, yeah. you know? I mean, it's got some aspects of it that are, that are like smirky, but I, I think it's more of a drama. Really? I mean, the Adam Sandler one clearly is played more for laughs, Yeah, but this one, I, I always think of more as a, as like a, a drama with like, like I said, was sort of like a almost typical Burt Reynolds character in it, but one who's trying not, to be the complete wise ass all the time. You, you know who I thought was really good in it? Like, a, like actually like a good, he, he hinted at an actor that we never got the chance to see was Richard Keel. Hmm. Um, he was good enough in that to make me wonder like, what would his career have been like? Had somebody found something that he could come back and play over and over and over or something like because everybody knows him as like Jaws in the James Bond movies, and he makes the impression there. But I thought his—I mean, the guy's huge, and so he doesn't fit every part. But I found his performance in this like really um, confident and laid back. And I was like, Richard Kill may have—I was like, he, he should have done more. Um, you know, I—I I get that he was cast as big monsters, but he—he uh, he was pretty good playing like. A regular guy that, who just happened to be gigantic. Um, I think he made the strongest impression on me out of the ensemble. Okay, uh, I kept thinking about the the guy who's the warden, James Hampton, because and of all things, I mean, do you know what the thing I immediately think of him in from is because of my age? Well, I I recognize the guy from uh, uh, was it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Uh, the the oh. guy that owns the. There's the there's the part that the guy that owns a hotel. One of the hotel owners is one of like the oh, okay. It's like the cook guy. I didn't know if that's <laughs> no no. He's no, the warden. The warden okay. of the prison. He's the dad on Teen Wolf, the original Teen Wolf. Oh yeah, like the one with Michael J. Fox. Okay. And I've seen that movie so many stupid times. I, I don't know why I like that movie as much as I. I think I was really into Michael J. Fox for like a while. He yeah. was like my favorite. Per- I would pay to see it. Like I saw Secret of My Success like three or four times in the theater. It's not a great film. I still like it. I don't know. I have a warm spot in my heart for him, but I saw Teen Wolf like over and over and over again. I, don't, I didn't put that together, and I just no. watched Teen Wolf for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway, yeah, I'd seen it so many times, it just went right in there. But there's a lot of people who are like, oh, they were in that one movie that I liked in that role in this movie. I don't know. Um, I like this movie. I get it. It's it's not, I, Like I said, I don't think it's supposed to be really that funny. I think it's more supposed to be like darkly sardonic would be the way I would describe it. Because it's a very dark film in a lot of ways. It's very brutally violent at points. Um, you can't, It 
constantly makes you think things are going to get a lot worse than they actually do. But ultimately, it's a sports underdog film. Yeah. <laughs> or a combined with a breaking out of jail prison film. So it's sort of like, also reminds me a little bit of, what's the one with Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder? Is it busting out, breaking loose? Uh, no, like no, no, uh, uh, no. Uh, I don't, I haven't seen. I can't yet. remember. It's Silver, one of the ones they. Silver Streak. No, not see that no one. evil here, no evil. No, you're name naming all, all the now. others. There are a lot, to be fair. It was their only really, really, really great film they did together where they were equal billing i don't i haven't seen anything except for silver streak and and i don't even remember if i watched the whole thing and that's not that good okay yeah that's what i thought about silver streak and i was like oh i thought this was supposed to be like one of the funniest movies ever made well let's go into another sports movie which is creed 3 which is uh the third surprisingly i know you're surprised to hear that creed 3 is the third in the creed series but it is i call it threed Threed. <laughs> uh, there was some controversy around the making of this because, you know, obviously this series it, it is a spinoff of the Rocky series. Uh, Sylvester Stallone has been in every film in this series, including the last two Creeds, uh, and has always been very deeply involved in the production, including the last two Creeds. This one he was also supposed to be. He's just listed as a producer. Uh, but apparently he had really big problems with the script, aired them. They told him to fuck off. And, uh, yeah, he took that kind of personally and left and took his sandbox with him. Uh, but he wasn't able to do anything. Like he didn't have enough power over it to say, okay, fine. You can't make the movie. Then they went ahead and made the movie without any of his input. And I don't know if it shows or not. I don't know. I mean, I like boxing movies a lot. I'm a big fan of boxing films across the board. Um, it's the only sport I find I can even sit and watch like the real sport and get entertained by. Creed three, it's fine. It's like Creed one and it's, it's not as good as Creed one and two in my book. Um, it, it's the first film directed by its star here, uh, Michael B. Jordan. It's his directorial debut and he's shooting for the fences at points, trying some weird off the hook stuff. It doesn't really work, but I kind of admire him for trying it. It's, it's some strange cinematography choices in here. Um, Obviously, this film is very hurt by its main co-stars suddenly being accused of multiple cases of harassment shortly after it came out. Uh, Jonathan Majors, this thing certainly is was not going to do as well in home releases it probably would have otherwise. But I, I get the impression, generally speaking, people prefer either Creed or Creed Two, one or the or, or the other. Uh, but everybody agrees this is the weakest one. <laughs> yeah, I. Um had done a complete revisit of the entire Rocky franchise all the way through the creeds up to this. Um, I liked the personal stakes. I liked that there was a, uh, I liked that the boxer was from, uh, creeds past. Mm-hmm. What's the, do you know the character's name? I can't remember the character. Jonathan Major's character's yeah. name. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It was a good Rocky movie boxer name, like spider Rico or clubber Lang. It was like one of those, uh, it was a uh, Damien Diamond Dame Anderson. Yeah, Dame Anderson, like a Dame. They say the Paul versus Dame. Uh, anyways, um, the only thing, and I and I thought Jordan did a really good job for a first time director. Um, and it does take some stylistic uh, swings. Well, I don't want to say risks. Swings <laughs> is the right word. Um, but I, the only thing that I I have a problem with with this movie really. It sure does feel like they go from point A to point B like really, really fast mm-hmm. to the point that I thought I was missing whole chunks of 
like sort of the dramatic shift between, oh, I'm coming over to your house and I'm reuniting with my friend and now I want to destroy you in the ring. Yeah. And it was like the flip there happens so quickly that um, it, it, there was something about it that I felt left behind a little bit from a drama standpoint where I was like, no, I want a little bit more there. Like I want the dissolution of a friendship or the, yeah or the, I want to see that happen. I don't want it to just be, okay, it's, it, it's one way. And now it's a completely other way because we have to get to the ending of the movie. Cause yeah. there's so, there's a lot of this movie, probably more than other Rockies or, or certainly creeds where the first like hour of it, is almost entirely devoid of boxing, whereas the other ones have stuff. Mm-hmm. The first hour of this is all like it's flashback and setup, and a lot of conversations about the situation, and then a big match at the end. And a lot of the sort of isn't it cool now the money and fame that Creed has. He's so cool. Look at his awesome house and his awesome car. It's a lot of that because he was struggling in the first two films, and now he's this established. Thing. He doesn't Already even coming box. to the end of his career. Yeah, he doesn't even box anymore. Yeah. He's now trying to support a new up and coming boxer, like manage this this young boxer. Uh yeah. And it's kind of like one of those like, oh, but here comes this guy who's gonna take all that away from you, who's like your old friend, because he secretly believes that he was the one who deserved to have this, not you. And I think there's something worthwhile from a meta standpoint about this movie not having Rocky in it and being a movie about Creed needing to prove who he is as a man, Mm. uh, I thought was like, there's, there's sort of a, a, an unplanned thematic tie that takes place because Rocky's not in it. Yeah. I think that Rocky's absence actually strengthens that concept, um, in a, in a weird kind of meta way. Um, I would still like to see Rocky come back if at least to kill him. <laughs> if it, I mean, they certainly made it seem like it was going to go that direction in, in the first Creed and then it, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it's not people upset about it too. It's like, this is, this is not Rocky's story. This is Creed's story, and he has a family, yeah. and he, it's an old childhood friend. Like, this isn't Rocky's story. No, I'm fine. And that with- may have been why they told Stallone, like, whatever part he had may have been cuttable and him be, he, maybe he thought he should have done X, Y, and Z. And they were like, it's not, it's not your story rock. Yeah. Like, you know? Yeah. The whole point was always to why these are called Creed was to make them about this other character. Yeah. yeah. No problem with that at all. It still feels like another Rocky film though. Like, yeah. like tonally you're like, yeah, this is a Rocky film. It's yeah. like they, they go through their ups and downs and this has the, Kind of some of the flashy goofiness of like four or five about those Rockies. You know, we're kind of reaching that part of the creeds a little bit early, but you know, hey, not too early. Yeah, I kind of wish. That, <laughs> I kind of wish we'd gotten. So we get the one creed that's all about payoff of the Rocky franchise, right? Mm-hmm. So you get you creed. The, creed one is like again when you've watched all the Rockies in a row, and you like if you marathon them and you get to Creed, Creed is like the culmination of your whole marathon and you're like, right. Oh my God, this movie's freaking great. Yeah. Like everything is led up to this point. And you see Creed two and it's like, Oh, Creed two has to serve two masters because yeah. Creed two is Creed two, but Creed two is also Rocky four part two. Right. <laughs> and so it's like, it has to be a sequel to Rocky four. So you have this thing that's basically what if Creed had to fight Ivan Drago's protege? And it's right. like, okay, 
And then you get one movie where it's just Creed standing alone against someone he has a personal tie with. But the movie starts and he's already retired. And it's like, no, no, I needed one more. Like, I needed another one in there. I needed a standalone one where he was still scrappy and up and coming. Right. I didn't. I wasn't ready to jump to... Okay, now it's the end of the of his career, and right. we're going to raise the stakes. And you're right. The thing with him going from, like, we needed more time to really believe the friendship here, because even he doesn't really believe that everything is okay. And so when things go wrong, you're like, well, yeah, of course they go wrong. Yeah. Like, I wanted them to, like, really bond and hit it off and everything to be all great. And you never really get enough time for that to work, to feel like, oh, man, come on, why are you being a dick? Which is how you the movie wants you to feel. Like, come on. This isn't how that was. I mean, it's going for some level of deeper drama and conversation, uh, but between about their relationship that the movie never delivers on at all. Mm -hmm. It's like just goes, well, we don't have to because they'll just fight it out. Yeah. We're like, well, I mean, I get that, but like (laughs) nothing is feels resolved (laughs) because of that. Um, it was good. It's still good. It's just. No, it's a far cry from great. Yeah, is what I would good. say. Uh, and there's only a few extras here. There's uh, two like EPKs, and there's three very unimportant deleted scenes. It's not a lot of bonus stuff, but these major studio releases rarely do have that. We'll talk about a little bit about Max Fleischer's Superman, which is a collection of really some of the best ever animated Superman work. Seventeen animated short films released in Technicolor by Paramount Pictures uh, that came out. Oh my God, what year? 1941 to 1943. You know, and you think, why do I want to watch that? Because they're fucking gorgeous. They're just, the level of detail in these things is just stunning. You can watch them legally online. They're in the public domain. But the copies online tend to suck. Yeah, and they've been part of, like, VHS compilations since oh, the yeah. 80s, where it's, like, anything that has freaking Popeye and Heckle and Jekyll and these Fleischer Superman cartoons in the worst quality you've ever oh, seen in your life. just so bad. But yeah. these, they uh, Warner Brothers actually spent some money yeah. to fix these up, clean them up. They apparently still didn't fix some of the inherent problems. Like, there's points where the audio in the intro credits is mismatched in two of these, and they... I guess nobody realized, and so they just never switched them back. So that's still here. Um, they also kind of overcleaned them because there's grain missing where there should be grain. Uh, but that being said, you're not really going to care that much. These are really, really cool. The stories are very simple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like d- just dirt simple. This is old jumpy Superman more than flyy Superman, you know, that type of level. Um, they're more like little moral tales. Uh, he's not fighting. He's fights super scientists, but not really a to normal super Superman villain. Everyone is like the the same. There's a big threat, and then he defeats the big threat, and it usually showcases w- at least one of his powers, and and, it, and then yeah. it's, and then it's done. And the it's, issue there is like it becomes hard to marathon them. They all start to blend together and become the same. Uh, yeah. But so my recommendation for anybody that's interested in this, because I do think it's a worthwhile set to have. They look terrific. Just. If you're a comic fan, if you're a Superman fan, it's a great Blu-ray to have. Um, again, the the, the the animation is fantastic, and they they're they're better looking than they've ever been. But you will go Superman blind if you attempt to watch them one after Agreed. the other. <laughs> they all become the same thing. Yeah, but the, there's no denying the artistic beauty that's going on here. The amount of money that was spent, really, Fleischer was such an innovator in animation. He was doing a lot of stuff before anybody was doing it. And some of that stuff 
is happening right here in the Superman cartoons, um, as well as this is, I believe this is where Superman first started to fly rather than jump. Hmm. If I'm not mistaken, I can't remember. I remember there's a couple things where it's like these things that now we just take for granted about Superman actually happened for the first time in these Fleischer cartoons. Like he's the one who moved it towards. Yes. And I believe it's also where they first got like the, the Superman, you know, faster, faster than a speeding bullet, like all that stuff yeah. originally came from this. Uh, and, you know, nice that they actually added some new bonus features for this, which I expected this was just going to be it. We've got this, just spend a quick clean on it and shit it out for extra money. But they spent uh, some money putting together a, a nice, short, but really fun retrospective uh, feature called uh, Speeding Towards Tomorrow, which involves a lot of people talking about these, why they're so important. Um, there's some old DVD error featurettes as well that are tacked on here. But honestly, this is like one of those you'll probably be able to get it super cheap. And it's well worth having in your collection if you're either an animation fan or a Superman fan. They're, it's pretty solid. Yeah, definitely. Uh, then we're going to get to Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Uh, I really liked the first Shazam. Me too. Oh, did you? Good. Because yeah. a lot of people I know were like, eh. Nah, loved eh. it. Um, I thought it was great. It was exactly what DC needed at that point. And uh, it's funny. It's okay for families, but adults are going to like it as well. I felt like it... it- it somehow softened a lot of the problems that I had with the Jeff Johns New 52 Shazam, which was mm. what it was more directly based on. Yeah. Which I found Billy to be a real dickhead. Yeah. And Johns run. But something about the humor and the heart of the movie, it really like kind of uh, smoothed out a lot of the things that I didn't like about the New 52 Shazam. I, I, I love that character. And I really did enjoy this movie. Uh, that movie. That movie. Excuse me. Yeah. A lot. Now, the Not sequel. That, spoiler. Uh, also directed, uh, by David F. Sandberg, who uh, so far liked more than I haven't of the stuff that he has done, uh, including Lights Out, which I really enjoyed yeah. quite a bit. Um, I was anxiously awaiting this. I was like, man, DC, they just, they, they get one hit that you're like, oh, that was good. And then they fuck it all up again. <laughs> and it's just like, Jesus Christ, someone run this company, please. Uh, you know, you're like, oh, oh, look, there's James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Oh, now they're on the right track. Oh, now here's Black Adam. <laughs> but here's the news that you've already heard, almost certainly. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is not really as bad as people say it is, but it's certainly not good. Well... Oh, you feel like it's as bad as people say oh, it I is? I didn't like this at all. Because like, I, I thought I would, this was trash. I would rather watch this than The Flash. Yeah. Yeah, I thought The Flash was offensive dog shit of a movie. It's like someone shaking a, a little thing. Come here, you like this? Come here. Come here, come here, superhero fan. And it's it's so bad. It's, a, it's just terrible. The more I think about it, the more I hate it. This film is just kind of falls backwards into being bad. You know, the main thing I hate about it is the way they treat the wizard, which is like went from this, the one serious character to being comic relief of this film, like, like fish the out of water. are weak. The plot's weak. Yeah. The, it's just, it has a few moments. I liked so, and, and it's funny. Sometimes you see like, you remember when cop out came out and like Kevin Smith would, was like really mad that people didn't like cop out for a while. And would that was like the one film that for some reason was like a bridge too far. I don't understand like Zachary Levi, like even this week doubling down on people not liking Shazam. It's like sometimes movies just suck. Yeah, Shazam Fury of the Gods sucks. Like it's just not. <laughs> and I have I've had friends that, have, that 
like this that were like, oh, no. it's really good, or it's better than the first, or it's just as good yeah. As the first. I heard people say like, that. I was like, wait, yeah. what movie did you see? And I thought this stunk on ice. I just thought this was <laughs> so bad, almost from the get go. It's so artificial and phony, and like yeah. just from top to bottom, everybody is doing paycheck work in it. <laughs> Like straight up paycheck work. I saw one critic describe it as the first one is like when that your friends have that little kid who's just learned to talk and walk and they're adorable. Nothing they do isn't adorable or funny. You're like, ah. The second movie is when they've kind of gotten that shit down more, and you're like, okay, cut it out because yeah. <laughs> they've discovered people find it's amusing and they kind of gone dive too heavy into it. That's this movie. Yeah, it's a miscalculation of what people liked about the other one. Yeah. You know, DC also, man, this like freaking trail of dead post credit stings yeah. left in the wake of every single one of their fucking movies which where it's just like this one makes credit stings that go nowhere like this well, one makes fun of that though i'll give deal, him credit my deal is the mr mind stuff you have no idea how excited i was yeah to see mr mind in the post credit sting <laughs> of shazam as a captain marvel slash shazam reader for years yeah i was like i cannot believe they're doing mr mind <laughs> well they're not doing mr mind no. they're doing like generic gods and goddesses not even like just no, like, could you not even bring in like what was who was uh was it? What you've got, Rachel Zegler? No. Uh, uh, what? No. No, I'm saying like, was it uh who was? Oh, Helen Aries in Wonder Woman. Who was Aries in what? I don't remember, dude. It was like it was like Eccleston or it was Eccleston, right? It's David Eccleston or Christopher Eccleston. Was it? I yeah. don't remember. I, I but like seen you it have a while. movie with like Greek gods and you can't even bring back people from within the own like within your own DCU. You, uh, Helen Mirren too, man. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's they. I liked them originally. I was like, oh, cool. I like where this is going. It's like kind of like they're like the three fates or whatever, you know, of the different ages. Uh, and then none of them really gets anything interesting to do. One of them is just cliche because like, oh, well, she's kind of falling for the Billy Batson kid who really has almost nothing to do in this movie. And he's like 20 years old. Yeah. Yeah. The magic of Shazam is an adult that turns into an adult. They they make it more about the best friend, weirdly, who you're like, really? Because I'd never found him all that appealing, even in the original movie. He was more there for Shazam to have something to bounce stuff off of. Yeah. You know? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't really work. I really, the first half of this movie, I was like, okay. I mean, it's not as good as the first one, but I liking it. It's really right around the halfway mark that it just starts making mistake after mistake after mistake until I was like, felt, I just felt totally bummed out by the end of it. Even to the point of the post credit scene, like I said, acknowledging that that Mr. Mind thing isn't going to happen and was never going to happen with another post credit scene with Mr. Mind making fun of it. Like, haha. You thought we'd do that? Fuck you. I was like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that not, shit's just not mean. A fan. Not a fan of this. Pretty big gulf, I think, between the first one and the second one. I, um, I did not enjoy I mean, this at all. This and Black Adam, aren't these kind of the last two of the, you know, the leftovers of the previous universe, I think? Yeah, Because Blue much. Beetle's supposed to be the first real one of the new universe, I believe. Yeah. Which I cannot bring myself to get excited about either, you know, but, you know. It's almost like... Uh, DC didn't learn any lessons about uh, spacefaring artifacts named after a color that let you create anything that you want out of your own will. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. 
Uh, there's lots of EPK pieces, lots of them on here, and quite a bit. So if you did like this, the featurettes, they <laughs> love EPKs. <laughs> well, I mean, they're all long. You know, I'm like, okay, that's a lot. There's like 31 minutes of deleted alternate and extended scenes. There's actually a decent amount of bonus features in this, but I, I never even occurred to me to sit through them. And when it was over, I just was glad this movie was over. It's yeah. like, I d- again, didn't hate it. I just felt tired and bummed out by it. Yeah. Whereas the Flash can go fuck itself. I was again. mad. <laughs> All right. So we're going to move on with another film that I guarantee you is not going to be on either one of us best of list either. But I thought it was fine, which is 65. It's one of those like, there's nothing inherently wrong with this film. Why wasn't this better? Except why isn't it better? It's one of the films like, there's really no subtext. There's like, nothing else going on except what's on the surface. It feel it constantly feels like a movie that's gonna get into something that's it's about yeah. to get really what, good. Like, doesn't it also like if somebody told you like, oh, picture Aliens meets Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, whoa, that sounds freaking awesome, right? And it's this, like, what, what is this? <laughs> I, I, it feels like one of those like Adam. They they drove a dump truck of money up to Adam Driver's house. He's like, cool. I've always wanted to fight dinosaurs, sure, but I don't want to get sucked into a franchise. This clearly is not going to become well, a franchise. We'll, we'll we'll direct it in a way where we'll make sure it's never a franchise. <laughs> it's so stillborn. It's not even like it's actively. It's not that kind of thing where it's making wrong choices like what you see in Shazam, where it's just like, oh, you guys thought that we liked this and that's not what we liked about shazam right it's it's different in that it's like it's so inert yeah and i don't it's in any given it there are these movies that come out like 65 where you could walk into a room see any given three minutes of it and you would be like this looks pretty awesome yeah and then you're actually watching it you're just like why is this doing nothing for me yeah i mean i i wouldn't go so far as say nothing i enjoyed watching it but I kept waiting for it to turn into a great movie because it looks great. It's got yeah. Adam Driver in it. Yeah. It's a really cool concept. Mm-hmm. It's got fucking like Spaceman from like a, like a distant galaxy fighting dinosaurs so, for survival and trying to help Newt or yeah. his version of Newt yeah. in substitution of his own daughter who he's no longer with him. Like, what about this doesn't seem like it's going to be awesome? Like fighting dinosaurs with laser guns and space grenades and shit. Fuck Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, I, I can't think of a single thing in this movie where it went, that was bad. No. Nothing in here is that, cause people talk about it like it's that kind of movie. It's not. It's just, why isn't it better? Yeah. Why isn't it more exciting? Why doesn't it go more places? And I expected a lot from these directors, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who did, uh, co-wrote A Quiet Place, uh, and, that obviously was kind of a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, now these guys are getting more of a, all right, what do you guys want to do? And uh, I guess this was it. I mean, they also wrote the boogeyman, which was fuck, not great. Another one, one, the new one. Yeah. Another yeah. one. I'm like, you know, it's not that I really, there's anything about it. I really actively disliked so much as that's it. Th- that's all you got. Story. Yeah, I really wanted to see the movie, and then it was one of those that was like, blink and you'll miss it, like it was in theaters, and yeah. it wasn't. Because it's just very, it's like 65 was, the same way. It's like, um, okay, yeah, that was fine, I guess. I, that was a movie I think I saw. Did I see that? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's one of those. 65 yeah. is one of those. <laughs> Did I see that? Oh, yeah, I saw that. Because you so don't have a really strong emotions one way or the other a about it. <laughs> <laughs> a great plain movie. A great plain movie. See it the way that the so, filmmakers intended on the headrest <laughs> of a plane. If the plane lands before it's over, 
you'll be fine. <laughs> you won't be like, yeah, yeah, hold on one, well, give me yeah. 10 more minutes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I really wanted to like this more. It does. It baffles why it's not better. You're right. Uh, but I'd say, you know, what the hell? If you're like, have a chance to get a, have a copy of it. You like the concept. It's, it's worth watching, I guess. As long as you're not, like not putting off something better to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Faint praise. Life's short, people. Life is short. (laughs) Uh, There are a few bonus features here. Eight minutes of deleted scenes. Um, uh, Apparently, the directors here, because I did watch one of the things, the filmmakers, (laughs) they've been trying to get this film made since the beginning of their career. Uh, Does this feel, but doesn't feel like it to me? Uh, Because usually those films are like, oh, this is going to be really good. They've got all these great set pieces they've been thinking about for 20 years. Yeah, but I think it's like, I think it's the concept, right? It's the log line. It's, it's what if, what if aliens would Jurassic Park? Like, what if those two were a thing? And I think, I think the strength of that log line probably had them holding on to it for years and years and years and years and years, but it's just, it's just so inert. It just doesn't move. It stuff happens in it. Yeah. There's action in it. Yeah. But none of it just, it just happens in front of your eyes and you're like, yes, this is what the trailer looked like, except it's now longer. It's like, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, but I yeah. don't know. I, I was. I thought my reaction to this would be either from what I, from based on reviews that it would be like bad or that it would be, I heard some people say, oh, it's kind of like maybe a cult movie in the making. Like if you liked cheap eighties action sci-fi movies, you might like this. You're saying Brian Salisbury might like this. Movie. Uh, that, that, <laughs> and, and there I am going like, how come my response to this is the same as if you, showed me a video of a guy cleaning somebody's yard. Like, <laughs> really? Like, it just wasn't... It was like I watched the whole thing. It was just sort of like, okay, yeah. There was, there was Adam Driver and there were the dinosaurs just like you promised. Yeah. It's like, that's it. <laughs> it does deliver on what it yeah. promises. It's just like one of those yeah. like, oh, you... You mean that's all you probably mm-hmm. like? I assumed when you said that there'd be other stuff yeah. that was good. It's like when Space but Jam, you're just where it's like, like you're going to see Michael Jordan play basketball with the Looney Tunes, <laughs> and you get nothing and else. Nothing else. This could have been just like <laughs> it's the equivalent of like that just shows a room and it's just Adam Driver and some velociraptors just quietly reading magazines and smoking cigarettes. Like, yeah, gave you dinosaurs. I, that would have been more interesting because yeah. I would have been wondering, like, what are they reading that's so interesting <laughs> that they're like all in their own little world? Yeah, not like, fighting. Yeah. Feels like they should be fighting. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. I'm going to say it's pretty much seems obvious. Police story, story super oh, cop yeah. is the pick of the I week. I wanted to say so when we were talking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just. It's a no-brainer. It's the, one of the best films that we reviewed this week, as well as one of the best packaging Gorgeous for a package. film, just yeah. like together. Who, it's who's like, is this? Uh, it is 88 films, I believe. 88 films. We, we got something else from them that had a gorgeous package. Yeah. And I can't remember what it was. Uh, yeah, they've been. Was it like Bodybuilder from Hell? Did they do 88 films do that Bodybuilder from Hell or was that somebody else? I cannot else? remember. I, can't I think remember it was somebody either. else. But, uh, but man, 88 films is. labels though. 88 films has been lately putting out lots of good Asian stuff. They did, uh, that In the Line of Duty one through four box set that's yeah. gorgeous as well. Um, Good Lord, what was the one? Because there was another one from them that was like, oh, wow, that was such a good set. But anyway, yeah, they put out a lot of cool shit. Um, and they can tend to focus on uh, Chinese stuff, just doing, but specifically released for the American market. I really yeah. want to get, I didn't realize they had already put out Magic Cop. And I'm like, ooh, I kind of want to pick that up. 
What is Magic Cop? It's uh, one of the films in the Mr. Vampire series. Oh, uh, you the... were talking about that the last time we recorded. Yeah, it's one of the most fun ones, for sure. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you, John. Is there anything you need to tell people about to keep an eye out that's coming out from you soon? Uh, no. No. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I just got done with a bunch of film projects, but I was told that people probably won't see those until 2024. Okay. So, so... I got I got nothing to promote, but... Uh... Hey, tell your tell the people that you love that you love them because you never know when they might uh, go. Is this because of the Pee Wee thing? Paul still? Rubens. Yeah, that's that's Pee Wee's Big Adventure is like, if not my favorite movie, my second favorite movie. It's not the one I tell people is my favorite movie, but it's the one movie I can watch Pee Wee's Big Adventure anytime. Hmm. I and never get sick of it, and always find it funny. I can watch that over and over, and will always laugh at new things. Love I have it. only ever seen it twice. Well, I think upon this uh, monumentous occasion, you should make some time to revisit Pee-wee's Big Adventure I mean, because it's freaking great. Maybe I will. I'll be honest. I'm not as big a Pee-wee Herman fan as everybody else is. I have nothing but mad respect for the man and is what he does. It's just you're an earnest guy. I get it. No, I get it. Chris. Oh no, definitely not an earnest no, guy. I know it's you're an earnest. Guy. <laughs> I'd like the British comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. It was too broad. And we lost both of our 80s man children to cancer. And then yeah. both of them smoke like a chimney as well. Which is, oh, I didn't know Paul Rubens yeah, did. Yeah, Paul Rubens was a, was a heavy, heavy, heavy smoker. But didn't he die of pancreatic cancer? Did he die of pancreatic cancer? I think I it was know. pancreatic cancer. I don't know. I don't know. So, I haven't read any of the articles today. I just got the... People started texting me. Dude, my... Because I know my love of Pee-wee. I started getting the text. M- my feed like, today of social media is... Li- it's one of four things. It's either something about Barbie, something about Oppenheimer, something about Sinead O'Connor, something about Pee-wee Herman. It's one of those four things. And I literally went... Wow, I literally found... There was like 40 posts in a row and there wasn't one derivation... <laughs> you know, one deviation from well, that. Well, then watch Blow. If you don't like Pee Wee Herman, what? Blow. Why would I watch Blow with Johnny Depp? Because Pee Wee Herman's like one of the main, not Pee Wee Herman. Excuse me, Paul Rubens. No, is one I of do. The I, I don't dislike him or Blow. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's so many. There's so many to choose from. I, I Midnight l- Madness. I liked Pee Wee Herman's <laughs> Big Adventure. I liked. I even liked a Big Top. Uh, but neither one of them I love. You know what I mean? You could. I, I like them in uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could make you. <laughs> We're going to play a game. <laughs> What's your favorite Pee Wee Herman movie, you're, Chris? You're going to name every co-star in every Pee Wee Herman film. <laughs> For each minute that passes, you don't name one co-star, a fingernail is ripped out. <laughs> yeah. Giving you ideas. <laughs>